Okay, good morning, everyone. Thank you, Nordea and team, for that lovely worship. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matthew Murdoch. Um, my wife and my mother-in-law are here, so I'm glad to have them here. Um, you can maybe meet them afterwards. Um, yeah, before I get into the sermon, let me quickly pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you watch over us to perform it, Father, and that you watch over us to breathe life into it. And this morning, Father, as we behold your word and study your word, I ask that you would give us revelation by your spirit of who you are, revelation of truth by your spirit, Father. We trust you for that, and that we may clearly understand this morning, to know your nearness, your goodness, and your glory in all its fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, for those of you um, who haven't been in a while or, 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 or missed last week what we're busy with here, you can see there Psalm 52, part 2. So, as I mentioned last week, um, we, for the whole of August, we're going to be taking our time through Psalm 52. So, um, if you missed last week, that's what we're doing. So, so it's going to be nice and easy, slow pace, so don't worry, we're not rushing off anywhere to get to any other ideas, we're just going to look at Psalm 52. And um, some of you may ask, as Alice asked last week, what's he going to say about Psalm 52? What is there to say? Um, it's, not a, it's not a Psalm 23 or a Psalm 91 that's on the fridge, but um, it's a good one. And I'm going to tell you why it's a good one. So I felt like, yeah, the Lord gave us space to, to look at it this week. Um, and to it'll be a springboard to look at a couple of things that I will be helpful for us, and that are just eternal principles, eternal things that are good for us to understand. Um, so, before we read it, um, uh, well, let me just also say that Psalm 52 was a very helpful meditation for me, um, so that's why it's easy for me to preach about it, and I feel like the Lord showed me a couple of things that I hope will be useful to you guys too, and encouraging to you guys um, in the same way that they were encouraging to me um, and gave me a lot of clarity and direction and understanding for, for the times that we live in and even times past. Just as I say, it's, it's, uh, I don't want to always feel like we're preaching about stuff that's happening now and always reacting. The, the things in God's Word, the world is, history is actually cyclical. Let me just say that in so many ways. Yet there is a timeline and so on. But Anyway, as much as Psalm 52 was relevant to David, it's relevant to us today. So, um, today is part two, next week will be part three, and then for Homie Sunday, there will just be a little summary and wrap up of that. But, so, <clears throat> without further ado, I think let's quickly read Psalm 52. I'm going to read it in the ESV and in the message, um, and then we're going to take it, take it from there. So, let's start Psalm 52 from the ESV. So I'll read the intro there. It says, To the choir master, a mascal of David, when Dog the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Then it says, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction. Like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. 
But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction or in his work of destruction. But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. Let's just read it in the, in the message there, just for another everyday language sort of take on it. It's the same psalm. Why do you brag of evil, big man? God's mercy carries the day. You scheme catastrophe. Your tongue cuts razor sharp. Artisan in lies. You love evil more than good. You call black white. You love malicious gossip, you foul mouth. God will tear you limb from limb, sweep you up and throw you out, pull you up by the roots from the land of life. Good people will watch and worship. They'll laugh in relief. Big man bet on the wrong horse, trusted in big money, made his living from catastrophe. And I am an olive tree, growing green in God's house. I trusted in the generous mercy of God then and now. I thank you always that you went into action. And I'll stay right here, your good name, my hope, in company with your faithful friends. So, thematically, um, as I mentioned last week, there are basically three sections there that I believe are helpful to us and encouraging to me, and as I said, hopefully encourage um, you. But in Psalm 52, we see three sections, and I also just want to say... What I'm going to preach today is going to focus on the second section. So maybe you've come here for the first time and you think, oh, this guy can only preach about one thing, or this message is unbalanced, or whatever it is. We're on a journey. So I'd encourage you, if you haven't heard last week, to listen to it. Next week will be the end. So just to say that, today we're going to major on a certain section, and it might feel odd. You might, you might not even feel that stoked with life afterwards, but <laughs> there's a journey that is ultimately hopeful. Um, so... The first section, as, I, as we, we dug through last week, was verse 1 to 4, and that was, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor you work of deceit. You love evil more than good, and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour a deceitful tongue. So what we looked at last week, um, we asked the question, how do we deal with evil? Um, we sort of drew the contrast, you know, dealing with tragedy you would deal with it in a certain way. Something terrible happens or whatever. It's, it's, it's major. It's really a massive thing to process. But I feel like when, when there's just blatant evil going on, we, have, we, don't, we need different tools to process that almost. It, it's a little bit different in how we process it. When we see blatant, barefaced wickedness, unashamed, unapologetic wickedness and evil, carried out. And so we looked at the story, and, and last week I gave the full context to the psalm, but it's basically, in short, um, David's on the run from Saul, and then there's a guy called Dog the Edomite, who, who tries to curry favor with Saul, and tries to really, out of a lot of self-interest for himself, reaps a lot of destruction on innocent people, on all the priests at Nob, and the families, and the whole town that lived there. So Dog carried out Real evil. It was the most unjust thing you could, one of the most unjust things you could read about, you know. Just cut down innocent people for his own 
gain or for his own sake or just because he liked it. Um, and we looked at David processing this and, and we said there's, we looked at a few scriptures and saw there's a, a sober way of processing this, which I believe David did for us. And he says, he says about Dog, you love evil more than good. You love all words that devour. And we looked at, um, maybe that next slide, I'll just briefly look at the scriptures that we, we looked at last week. But as I said, in 1 Samuel 21 and 22 is the background. So if you want to take notes and you missed last week, um, 1 Samuel 21 and 22 is the background to Psalm 52. Um, and then we looked at Luke, where Jesus talks about the, the end times, the coming of the end of days. Jesus talks to his disciples very honestly, very openly about what it's going to be like. He doesn't put any flowers on it or, or sell them any fairy tales. He says, this is going to happen. This kind of thing is going to happen. People are going to be like this. Um, and he said, with all the stuff going on, people will be fainting with fear and foreboding at what is coming. But he says to these disciples, but you, you need to raise your heads and stand up because then your redemption is drawing near. We looked at the same passage in Matthew um, where the way it's worded in Matthew, it says, um, but because of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. <clears throat> and we looked at the message version, which said, um, because of the rampant spread of evil, people's love will basically be quenched. Um, so why I'm preaching on this is, I myself was going through a time, um, and, and this wasn't the first time, you can be many times in your life where you see real evil and your, your first response, we had a little discussion last week, is, is usually anger. You're outraged at what is happening, which is right, you know. If you see blatant evil and, you, and you're not able to feel any emotions towards it, then you, there's something amiss, you know. It's, it's right to feel outrage at blatant evil. Um, but for myself, I was, I was reading of all the evil in the world and, and lots of news about all the evil that this one's doing and the evil that that one's doing, um, and your initial response is outrage. And you think, how can that person do that? And maybe even in our own country, you see blatant corruption, blatant murder, blatant theft. Whatever it is, people are not ashamed to do evil. Um, and you, you get outraged. And you, and you think, this is not right. And it is not right. But you have ideas of how you might solve it. And you could maybe, whatever thing you... A couple of things we tr would try and do to deal with that or to address that. Um, but I believe, and what I found helpful was um, David was talking about the guy like Doug and saying, this guy loves evil. No matter what kind of pleas I could make to, to someone who's really carrying out evil, and say, you know, that's not right, and it really ought to be like this, and, and this, and this, and this, and please stop. Sometimes there's evil in the world that's really unrestrainable in many ways. And, and words like that, and energy that you would expend on trying to verbalize that or process that can be in, really in vain. And so I felt like the psalm gives us a, a very honest appraisal of what's going on. David says, okay, Doug, you love evil. You love it more than good and you love lying. You, and a person like that, you'll never get the truth out of them. You may never hear the truth from someone who loves lying and destruction that much. much. As the word said, they're artisan in lies. The lies can be their craft. And so all the frustration you feel at, at, at wanting to get it to the bottom of some things, you will never get there. Um, and so we looked at, in that psalm and in, and in Jesus' 
um, words in Luke and Matthew of, of how we face evil. Some translations of Scripture, of scripture say that people will go from bad to worse. Um, and I think that's very important for us. Because, <clears throat> yeah, it's, 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 it's very much the opposite of how we often think. Usually we think the world is going to get better and better and we're going to make it better and better. And man is going to actually get there. Man can do it. Man can make it better. Um, but as we said last week, there's some vain hopes in this world. And, and when we face evil, sometimes we wind up really hopeless because our hope is misplaced in the f- to start with. You know, Maybe we hoped that this criminal would really just stop and turn around and do the right thing. Sometimes, don't even, don't even go there in terms of hope. It's not going to happen. Um, and it sounds weird to say that, but I believe it's exactly what David is saying about this guy. Um, so, that was just a summary. Um, in short, how do we face blatant wickedness? Part of the processing that we looked at last week was just to face the facts sometimes and not to hope for anything other than that because it's, it's just not going to come. Um, but this is a hopeful sermon series, so just hold on to your seats. I'm not saying there's no hope at any time. Um, and why, sorry, let me also just say why it stuck with me. Because the last part of the psalm, David says, I'm like a green olive tree flourishing in the house of God. And I realized for myself, I was looking at all the wickedness in the world and feeling all the anger and indignation and you know, trying to get to the bottom of it. And, and, and you just feel like muff. You just feel not like a green olive tree. I realized David could confront all of these realities. He could say all of this and see all of this and say, but I'm like a green olive tree. Wow, that's interesting. You know, David hasn't sugarcoated anything of what's going on. But somehow he's a green olive tree. And I found for myself, I was not feeling like a green olive tree. I was actually getting bitter or... <clears throat> even vengeful, uh, you just want to see, you just want to see that person taken down, you know, you're just like, that's what's needed, if the lightning bolt could strike this person, everything would be okay, but, yeah, you can be on a wrong road if, you, if you're harboring that, um, and we looked at last week, just, if we maintain certain emotions and sustain certain things, we, we can get onto a path of, of bitterness and coldness, and it's the path that Jesus mentions in Matthew, he says, because of the spread of evil, the spread of lawlessness, if you don't process it in the right way, your love can be quenched and your worship will be quenched. Your love for Jesus, your thanksgiving, difficult to pray, difficult to give thanks, difficult to worship because all you can think of is the evil in the world and all you can feel about it is bitterness. But there is a way to process it so that you can be a green olive tree. And so today, section two, we're going to look at the other part that David brings to the fore, which I believe helps us to um, process this. Oh, I just need to get us a watch. Sorry, I see my watch has stopped you. I thought I, I thought I was right at the start. We could have sat here for yes, yeah, going back in time. Um, okay, so that's the actual time. <clears throat> so section two takes on a different theme. The first section was about facing evil for what it is. The second section talks about God's judgment. 
Um, and then the third section, as I mentioned, talks about the green olive tree and <clears throat> all of that, so which we'll really unpack next week. And I'm looking very much forward to that. So, having faced evil, having come to terms with what kind of person Doeg is in, uh, in David's specific case, and the nature of his evil, wh- is that where he ends? You know, is that the end of the matter? It is what it is, and you might as well get rest to it, used to it. No, there's another step. There's another consolation for David in this. <clears throat> and it's in the section from verse 5 to 7, and it starts with, But God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. And so I suppose I would summarize that consolation for the psalmist, and which is our consolation too, is the assurance of God's judgment on evil. The psalmist takes comfort in that. We can take comfort in that. So just looking at those verses, you know, the last part's kind of got a throwback to the initial part of the psalm when it says he sought refuge in his work of destruction. The message says he um, made big money off of catastrophe or whatever. Again, there are some people for whom the destruction of others is good for them. So they will do it. So that's just another reminder about the first section we spoke of. But... um. The section that we're going to talk about today is the sure judgment of God on evil, which is an interesting topic because um, whether it's in evangelism or even just talking in general, the idea of God's judgment is like a, uh, I feel like people come at it with, like it one day, but, but don't like it another day, you know. If you watch a movie, I mean, movies literally like feed off of the bad guy getting his. I mean, we love that. That's what, that's what resolves the movies when like the crook or whoever it is gets what was due to them. Like, oh, okay. It's resolved. We can carry on. Um, <clears throat> um, but when we talk about personal accountability, oh, then we're now we're like, oh, no, 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 no. People want to get kind of funny with, you know, now, when, now we want to actually take the judgment seat and turn it back on God. You know, like, how can you do this? How can you, how can you judge people and, and send them? You know, God, how can, how can some people go to hell? How can you, how can you do that? Um, but we're almost schizophrenic in that way sometimes. If you wanted to say, oh, like, if you wanted to give a free pass on, say, Hitler or, or any of our other political leaders in, in time who have, Wiped out whole sections of a nation, wiped out whole sections of a population just for them, just because of their own agenda, you know. We would all agree it's wicked. It's wicked. Or you could talk about, like, gruesome murderers of history, you know, Charles Manson and Ted Bundy and these guys did desperately wicked stuff. So if you were to turn around and say, ah, you know, those guys have actually got a free pass, you know, they died in peace and they'll actually live in peace for eternity and. People would be outraged. You know, there's no justice in the world. That that makes us cross. Like that, the notion of that um, that there's no consequence for that kind of evil doesn't sit well with us. But if we talk about, it, then we say, okay, but you actually know, all of mankind is born into sin. All of us are under the wrath of God. 
until we accept Jesus' atonement for us, until we accept Jesus' um, payment for our sin, we are actually also under that wrath. Then the conversation changes a bit. And I just believe um, we have to understand this clearly because an understanding of God's perfect justice and his judgment of evil is central to the gospel. The gospel doesn't make sense if we try and twist the judgment of God and if we shy away from it. It's really central to the gospel and our understanding of it. And it's, as we see in the psalm, it's really central to the Christian hope. You know, our own judgmentalism can be toxic and it can go certain ways, but beholding God's perfect justice inspires worship and it inspires consolation and um, resolve. As I said, every person born feels the effect Ben, the man. Ben. Yo. Oh, what a man. <clears throat> so, everyone, every man and woman who's born into the world feels the weight of evil, and I would say actually also feels that uh, the weight of, of it not being resolved. When you see wicked people prospering, you see them getting their way and and and. The police can't get to them. The courts can't get to them. The government can't get to them. People feel the weight of wickedness that's gone unpunished. Um, it is something unresolved. It is, it's, a, it's, it's a tension that, that, we, that we live with. But our consolation is that God does resolve it. He does resolve it. Um, whether it's, it's the anger at at the evil that's at play, you would feel that anger and, and that at the injustice of it, you would feel the anger. God's going to resolve that. But I also want to say, even the, this, that there's often a sadness too. You know, as that evil's gone, gone to work, you see it, you're angry. Then you see the outflow of that evil and what it's brought about, then there's a sadness. You know, whether it's, it's just people that have come into your family and brought a certain thing or whatever it is, there's, evil has come somewhere. And there's the anger to the evil, and there's the sadness of its repercussions. I want to say God re- resolves both of those. And we need to know that because it is our consolation. Um, <clears throat> so I think the next slide, okay, now this is actually this. We'll go quickly go to the next slide. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. So, God resolves wickedness. He will resolve wickedness. When we read Scripture, we understand that He's resolved our personal accountability. The language of Colossians is like the record of debt that stood against us has been removed. Okay, so we all had a record of debt. So, if you don't understand the justice of God and that you were due for some wrathful punishment and judgment because of your sin, the cross won't make sense. When, when Colossians says it took away your record of debt, you're not going to understand it because you're going to think, how could I have had a record of debt? I was quite all right. But Scripture says no. 
We all understand that God has to, in His perfect just, justice, has to punish sin. He has to deal with wickedness. And as I say, we understand it when we see an evil person, but we might not understand it when we think of our sin. He has to. And the relief and consolation for the believer is when you see that, you understand that, you behold that, then you understand how you've been bought by the blood of Jesus and how that wrath's been rolled away. Man, that can only bring worship. Um, and so all through Scripture, the Psalms are full of this understanding. Um, we'll look at, I'll briefly mention Psalm 37 just now, but actually Proverbs, Psalms, the whole Bible is actually full, um, it's, it's replete with this understanding that there will come a day and the wicked will be judged. The wicked will be no more. The righteous will see it. The wicked will be no more. So I really actually just want to highlight that for us today. All of Scripture talks about that all the time. Um, and even in Revelations, we see, in case we thought it was like an Old Testament thing, and now everything is like la da and everyone is fine with God, it doesn't matter. We have the um, picture in Revelations, which, which is really interesting. And it says, um, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That's an interesting picture because it's actually the martyrs, the people who have been martyred for their faith in Christ. As noble as they are um, in that moment and as a holy a thing as that is, there's still an understanding that it was unjust. They were innocent people that were slain. And so, even for them, sitting in heaven with God, they understand. God still has to avenge that. There's an equation that hasn't been solved yet. There's something that hasn't been balanced. And they feel that tension too. And they say, Lord, how long? We know we died for your word, and Lord, and you spared us, and we're with you, and it's glorious, and it's wonderful. And they say, but but Lord, we know you're going to resolve this still. And they're actually feeling it. They're saying, how long, Lord? And the rest, and God tells them to wait a little while and gives them a robe and everything. <coughs> but that's just to highlight that that's the understanding in heaven too. Wickedness still needs to be judged. We can go to the next scripture there. This is right at the end of Revelation, and it's now Jesus speaking. He says, behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So what's interesting with this, um, that will hopefully encourage you, is so recompense is quite an old sort of word. Um, and I instinctively first read it as, yo, he's, like, he's coming with his stick to. Um, which, but the whole of Revelation is that. Jesus is coming back and he's going to overthrow evil. But Herein is an encouragement. I saw recompense in the other translations. It's actually almost talking in the positive, like he's coming with his reward. So for his faithful servants, those who have faithfully served him, he's also coming with his reward. And so that's just an encouragement. As faithful as God is to to punish wickedness and to deal with evil, he's also faithful to to reward his children and to, to give of himself to those who love him. God gives so much to those who love him and to his faithful servants. You know, he's not joking when he says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. He says, I'm faithful to give you riches there. If you would choose that, you will have that. Um, 
So that's just an encouragement there. When Jesus is bringing his recompense, when he comes, when the day of the Lord comes, he's bringing both judgment on evil and um, <clears throat> his reward for his, for his children. If we can go to the next slide there. So just briefly, I want to look at three words in Psalm 52 there. And it's from verse 4, and it says, The righteous shall see the destruction of the wicked. Oh, sorry. Psalm 37, as I said, is, a, is another great psalm. If you want to make a note of that, just Scripture talking about that, you know, the fate of the wicked and the, of the righteous. But from, from Psalm um, 52, we see, The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh. So maybe those three words can give structure to what I've just said. I've just spoken about what you will see. You will see God's judgment on sin. And it's interesting there, he says, and fear. Um, and it's already a bit of what I've been talking about. You know, the wrath of God on wickedness is, is severe. It's final. It is thorough. It is, it's like no one can withstand it. No one can, can take a shot from that and get back up and say, oh, you know, what, what more you got. Like the wrath of, and judgment of God on sin is final. It is severe. And the other psalmist, David's even saying, like when the righteous see what happens to the wicked, they, it's going to be, it's like, it's going to be a terrible sight. Um, and it got me thinking about, um, like the, the fear of the Lord. And I love what um, Corne Becker, if you guys don't know him, he's a guy who, who speaks at our conferences when we used to have those things. Um, but he, he was preaching on the fear of the Lord, and he said, no, 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 you know, and the fear of the Lord is the fear of the Lord. Um, and that just stuck with me, because instinctively when we, we say the fear of the Lord, we want to first want to qualify it. Like, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, it's like respect, and it's, you know, and it's like reverence, which it is. And, and those qualifications are, are good, because... You know, fear that causes you to run away from the Lord is not, it's not helpful. And for the child of God, it's also not what it's meant to do. It's not meant to drive you away from Him. Um, but in some ways, when you look at Scripture and you see the story of Scripture and even of David's life, I see like the fear of the Lord is the fear of the Lord. It's like His, his holiness is like a furnace. Um, and I think of the stories of David... They're all excited to bring the ark back to um, Jerusalem. But they haven't looked at the law and how the priest should be transporting this thing. And the oxen stumble and the, and the ark wants to fall off the wagon and the guys reach out just to touch it. And God strikes them down right there. And it's like, again, Scripture also doesn't really polish that story up for us or, or put any candy on it. David, David is overcome and, and it's, I think it says he, he was trembling with fear. He, he just saw the hand of God and he realized, ooh, this is, this is something. Um, yet it doesn't drive him away from God. He's still drawn to God. And another story that I was meditating on is in um, David does a census, I think it's in 1 Chronicles 21, where he decides to count all his soldiers. And that's a fascinating story. Um, where is it? Uh, you guys can read it afterwards. But um, I think it's in... Chronicles. I'll find it. It's somewhere there in Chronicles. You can just Google David's census. But that is a, that is a dramatic story that unfolds. You're, like David decides, 
He's going to count all his soldiers. God has blessed him and really, he's just risen to like a kingdom and a kingship that is unparalleled. And he decides, okay, time to count the soldiers. And even Job, his commander, who's a bit of a wild card, um, also disagrees with this. He says, this is abominable, David. Yet David says, do it, count all my soldiers. And God is not pleased with David for doing that. And then the story that unfolds is it's just crazy. Like, I don't know, all the amazing things we see nowadays, we haven't even seen anything like that. Um, so the prophet comes to David and says, okay, God's not pleased with you. You've got three choices. There are a couple of choices of, of repercussion for David's um, sin. And he says, this was like three years of famine or, or, or to be three years of war or to have uh, like a plague come on you from God or something. So David says, let me rather fall into the hands of God because I know he's merciful at least. If I fall into the hands of my enemies, who knows what they'll do with me. And that's, there's quite a kernel there in, in how he, he understands the fear of the Lord but the compassion of the Lord at the same time. So he says, okay. He chooses that and then a whole lot of stuff unfolds and the angel of the Lord is got his sword out and David's seeing all of this and there's fire coming from heaven to, to, on the sacrifices that David makes. Um, and there's like a whole unfolding of events that is, is really, if we had to see it, you have no option but to quake with fear. Like, it is that glorious. It is that majestic. It's, it's more than seeing a tsunami come at you. It's more than an earthquake. It's more than an, any other awe-inspiring fear sort of trembling inducing event is seeing God at work God pouring out his glory and if it's pouring out his judgment on wickedness it's it's massive and that's nothing like the fear of the Lord is the fear of the Lord Uh, but for David you see all throughout those stories despite all of that David's still talking to God he's still he still knows God. He knows God's compassionate. He knows God forgives. He's no, he knows that God does not treat us as our sins deserve. And I just want to put that before us. Um, if, if we try and temper the, the fear of the Lord in the wrong way, if we try and temper His glory um, and just, just, you know, just like smooth it over a little bit, you actually smooth over His, his compassion as well. If you don't understand the forceful, fiery wrath of God and want to water it down to make it palatable, His mercy is also going to be nice and small, just like if, as small as you've made that thing. Um, so David is doing what, what the writers of Hebrews do. I think it was in Hebrews when it says, Behold the goodness and the severity of God. We need to behold both of those things at the same time. Um, but again, we're done in the right way, and that's what I'm hoping for today as we speak about it. It inspires worship. It inspires intimacy with God. It inspires, like, you're going to stick closer to Him. Like, you, you just know you need to be in His mercy, and, and you experience His mercy when you understand what was actually your due. Um, and who He is, His power, His, his glory in that. Um, so, <clears throat> that's the fear part. And as I say, I hope, that's, it's not, I hope nothing is unclear about the fear of the Lord, but I wouldn't have us diminish the fear of the Lord. Um, because you then diminish the mercy of the Lord often as well. So, 
And that's what the psalmist is talking about here. He says the righteous will see it and they'll fear it. When God comes down to do it, it's going to be a fearful thing. You're going to, you're going to quake for a moment. You're going to think, what is happening here? And it says, and then he will laugh. Like, that's quite interesting. And I believe that's the position for the child of God as well. When you understand the wrath of God on sin and on wickedness, and then understand that your debt has been paid. You're, you're, you are out from under the wrath of God, as Scripture puts it. Ah, there's, like, there's like a relief. There's like a, it's a, you know, I don't actually know how else to describe it except as a, as a relief. Um, and that should also help us. As I said, sometimes when you see the wickedness, you read the first part and you read the, the next part about God breaking down forever and you become like James and John saying, Lord, you, this town just rejected you. You should call down fire from heaven. You become like a, you could become very vengeful, very desirous of wrath, God's wrath on, on wicked people and on people. And that's, that's to come, but when you understand your own position and your own, the own liability that you had, and that you've only just averted that wrath, like there was nothing special about you that made you not deserve that. It's actually only God's compassion and mercy towards you that takes you out from there. That should help to temper any vengefulness that can come on our part, um, from our part, because that's a natural response. When we, when we look at the judgment of God, we say, yes, God needs to crush these people, and I would, I would just love to see him do that. And that's what James and John did. And Jesus says, well, guys, you don't know what spirit you are of here. You guys want to call down fire on this town. But Jesus has still got compassion on that town. Jesus is, is keeping his wrath at, at, you know, there, waiting for the people to respond because he's, he's compassionate, he's merciful. Um, and we need to be merciful too. We need to understand that as much as the judgment of God is as sure as the sunrise we need to maintain compassionate, humble hearts. And again, it's really about understanding where we've come from and, and where we are now. Understanding the gospel pro- properly. Um, in much the same way that that's what God did with Paul. He's just a perfect example of that. You read the act, chapters in Acts and it says, Saul ravages the church. And, and Paul, who was Saul, was killing Christians just because they were... Christians. They hadn't done anything wrong. He was like he was just like that. He was doing he was doing a lot of evil that could have brought about a lot of outrage. There wasn't anything virtuous about Saul. What what Saul was Paul Saul was doing to the early church. And one might rightly have said, Lord, look what he's doing to your look what he's doing to your children. You need to judge him. You need to bring it out and maybe God would have been right in that time. He would have been right in that time to, to, to judge that wickedness. But he gives Paul a chance, and Paul, he gives Paul an encounter with him, and Paul becomes Paul. Saul becomes Paul. And he's changed, and he becomes an apostle. An apostle. Not impossible. <coughs> I'm trying to fit so many words into such a short time. Um, but he becomes an apostle, and he writes much of the scripture that we read today. So I want you to hold that picture before you as well. God's judgment is sure. But his, his mercy is also tender. Um, and in the unresolved that we feel with wickedness that goes unpunished, we must, we sh- must not become bitter or wrathful ourselves. 
on people. Um, so I think the last passage I want to read just from us, which covers this theme as well, is 2 Peter 3, verse 1 to 13. I think that's the next slide. So we've said the righteous will see, they'll fear, but when the fear is in the right place, they'll laugh. They'll actually be relieved. They'll, they know where they are, but it, you'll also laugh. You'll see, oh, these guys trusted in all these other things. They trusted in money. They trusted in this. It's like when the psalm also says, the nations rage, the people's plot in vain. The, they come and counsel together to do things that appear mighty. And it says, from God's perspective, he like laughs at them. It's, ridiculous like how can man rise up and take his stand against god you know from god's perspective it's like worthy of a bit of a a laugh um same for us when we when we see that okay so quickly i'll just read in two peter this is now the second letter that i'm writing to you beloved in both of them i'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the lord and savior through your apostles Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own desires. So that's what I'm trying to do now. is similar to what Peter was doing to them, saying, the end of the days is going to look like this. Remember, God and, them, God and the prophets, everyone said this is the way it was going to be. Don't be fooled or taken uh, by anything else. Don't let anyone else sell you some vision of the future that's not in line with Scripture. Um. And the scoffers will come and they will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And so that, that may come too. When we don't see evil being punished, you might think it's never coming. And then many times that's the boast of the world. Like, oh, you know, where is God? If, if God is real, why don't I see him? If God is real, why does all this wickedness carry on? You know, if, if God's really God and he really so, cares so much about evil, why doesn't he judge it? That's the question that, that many times people will ask or they will use it and they will scoff it and say, Pfft the day of God is not coming. Peter's saying, remember there was, God made the earth out of the water, separated the, the waters below. He's using a lot of the language of Genesis. But by those same elements, he actually destroyed the world at that time with Noah's flood. So, he's saying, the scoffing overlooks certain facts. So, that's just for us to, to, to remember. <clears throat> and he says to them, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. You can just go to the previous slide. 
I think that's really the sum, this slide is really the summary of, of section two for me. Peter is echoing the same um, sentiments as David there, saying <clears throat> that the day of the Lord will come and the works that are done on the earth will be exposed and wickedness will be judged. But as you wait for that, there's going to be a temptation to say it's not coming or going to be a temptation to lose hope in it or temptation to make your own way. Peter's saying, the reason God's not doing it right now is actually because of his compassion. He's actually keeping the window open for people to come to him to reach repentance. And so we need to remember that um, and maintain those merciful and compassionate hearts as well. He's not slow to fulfill his promise. He hasn't forgotten. He's actually just got an extending mercy still. So... Uh, that's just a brief summary. Um, next week we'll look at the last part. You know, Having underst- understood the nature of evil, having understood that God is going to judge evil, David comes to a place where he's a green olive tree. He's got a vibrant, living relationship with God despite all the evil at his front door. Um, and that's the part I'm really excited to uncover. So, be encouraged. We're going to get there. But I, I trust that today was was helpful um, helpful for all of us and um, yeah I think the last slide uh, it was the same one as last week the steadfast love of God endures all the day so that's what we've got that's where we take our refuges in the steadfast love of God and uh, we take refuge in Him trusting in Him trusting in His work of mercy towards us okay I'm going to pray for us and then uh Maybe Nodia, if you want to talk a little bit. If you have anything that you want to pray for, that you want to pray with anyone at the front, you're welcome to do that. Otherwise, I'll pray for us now, and then we'll just leave a bit of time for you to respond to God if you want to, if He's, if he's putting anything on your hearts. And yeah, just draw near to Him. His compassion is, is right there. His compassion is always there for you. Okay, I'll quickly pray for us. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that um, you speak your truth to us, Father. You always speak the full truth to us. Lord, you never disguise uncomfortable parts or fearful parts. You never twist things to make them look a way that they aren't, Father. You always speak the whole truth. And the whole truth about who you are, Father, is glorious. The whole truth of, of your nature and of your works is glorious and worthy of worship and is it's just the way things are and it's the way things are meant to be father to understand the fullness of your glory and to understand then the extent of your mercy and i really pray father that we may see that more and more and may may purer and purer worship flow out of those revelations father let's pray that for each one of us um and that your mercies are new every morning. That you have great compassion towards us. You have great compassion towards those who are at the moment scoffers. Those who at the moment hate you. Those who at the moment hate your church. You still extend mercy to them, Father. And we pray, help us to be merciful. Help us to understand what is right. And to understand your justice. Yet to extend mercy 
and to be merciful and to be merciful as we wait for you, Father. Even as those martyrs cried out, how long, O Lord, when will you set this right? Father, grant us patience, grant us, help us to wait well, Father, to, to wait on you and to understand the times and to understand who you are and what you are doing that we may remain merciful and humble uh, yet sure of your justice and of your faithfulness in Jesus name Amen